A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, ladies. <laughs> hello, hello. You may hear for the next few minutes the sound of a fan. And that's because Grace has gotten so into cooking yep. that I just ate a sandwich and then said, I want a treat after saying that I've legally banned myself from cookies. I said, I need a treat. And then Grace brought me out some cobbler. I was like, well, you could have a slice of my strawberry cobbler that I made yesterday. I know. Call me Martha Stewart. I am addicted to cooking. I'm I addicted to Alison Roman's YouTube and I've been sick. So I've been making it, making her recipes. We've talked about this on the pod before, but we just had another discussion about it. So if it's not old for us, it's not old for you guys Yeah. about cooking and how I just have this mental thing with it where I feel as though I'm really bad at this thing that everyone else manages to do. And then it was this really heartwarming thing when I realized that the reason cookbooks and cooks and, you know, the New York Times subscription and these YouTube channels that you love are so popular is because everyone is learning to cook. I just think that it's this thing that everyone else knows how to do and I just don't and I'm really bad at it. And so I get really stressed out every time I go to the supermarket. Yeah, I think the idea, I think we both have in our head that cooking is this instinctual thing that you just know how to do so that people who are good at cooking can just go into a kitchen or go into a supermarket and just throw together a bunch of things and just know how to make stuff. Whereas everyone who I know who is good at cooking is like, I just follow recipes. And if I do them instinctually, it's because I've learned them by heart over time. Yeah. Or it's, you it's just... people like Alison Roman who do it as a profession that invent recipes out of nowhere. Like most people don't do that. Yeah. Or if you do, it's because you've learned how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Like what you just said, but as in, if people were winging it, it's because they've learned, Oh, if I put these spices together, it makes a curry. So I can put mm-hmm. these spices together and put a few different vegetables in. And I'm like, wow. I like Alison Roman's approach. <laughs> because, 
I like Alison Ruin full stop. I like her approach because she explains it in a way that millennials or whatever, ADHD girls understand where she'll be like, the hardest part of this whole recipe is getting the ingredients because it's really, really stressful and you've got to go blah, blah, blah and get this and this and thing. But now you've done it. Well done. Like she's very, she like gets the vibe of what stops people cooking and it makes you feel yeah comforted. And I was also saying to you that the thing that's switched in my brain of making me cook is discovering the YouTube videos on the New York Times cooking and just general YouTube videos of cooking and Alison Roman's channel because whenever I read recipes, because I was telling myself that I couldn't cook, if something didn't look right, I would assume I'd done something wrong and like panic, add things or take things out or assume <laughs> I'd fucked it up or something. Yeah. And watching someone do it on YouTube is such a difference between someone writing a recipe, someone doing it and being like, oh, when this happens, don't freak out. It's normal. Just keep stirring it. Or, or even seeing whatever. how they cut yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll literally say, dice up the onions. And I'm like, what way? Into tiny little squares or into long, thin strips? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. So if you see it, and if you see it, then yeah, it makes all the world of difference. That's my, my biggest block is figuring out what to cook. And I just, and I think there's just nothing out there and I don't understand. But then, and then yeah, going to the supermarket and getting the ingredients. And then once you're at home, it's completely fine once you're actually cooking. And her tip as well is to put all the ingredients out in their measurements, just sitting on your counter yes, and put everything away. Yes. And then it's like a pleasurable experience. And I was like, that's another thing that I've never done. And then I'll panic and miss something or add something I'm not supposed to because I'm just being very reactive and yeah. frazzled. No, that's the best tip ever because I have kind of figured that out a little bit myself because of so many recipes where I'll be halfway through and you're full cooking yeah everything's happening yeah and then you realize you haven't because i will never yeah i would never dice things up beforehand so yes. then it's like throw in the diced mushrooms and i'm like fuck oh and so my then you're God. cutting and yeah. cutting and cutting and then something's or something's yeah. cooked too much precisely mm-hmm. so anyway since we last spoke adele has not only announced well released a new single but she's announced when her new album is being released so we just paused the pod to I hadn't watched or listened to the song or seen the music vid. Easy on me. <laughs> it start the song started and I started singing along with Adele. Easy knew the words. Like, I was like, what, what's happening? What is happening? Yeah, what were your initial thoughts? It doesn't feel very catchy. Mm, I mean, I have it stuck in my brain Yeah, it's stuck in your brain. Someone was blasting it out their car window before, mm. like a banger. I think the song is really cute, Jade Me. The music video was hilarious to watch with you because you obviously studied film and you were like, this music video is really It looks really like a student film. It's like really terrible. poorly done. But I was thinking as I was watching it, I was like, this is actually Adele's brand. Her brand is always to be existing outside of or above the quote unquote culture yeah she's never been cool she's never been fashionable she's never been like a beyonce that gets the coolest emerging filmmakers to create a full-length lemonade music video or had really even the i rewatched the rolling in the deep one it was really similar to that it's just her sitting in a room in black and white singing Mm. it was like wooden floorboards and stuff i think it's she doesn't care because she knows she's going to sell albums anyway so it's almost like purposefully not interesting 
And like you said about her refusing to collaborate with people, just refusing to sell out and and write pop songs. She just does her ballads. She does her cheesy music videos. I love it. Mm -hmm. Like her winged eyeliner was gorgeous. She looked so beautiful. I feel like the whole music video was her just being, just showing how beautiful she looks. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty. Yeah. Because she has, she's had a, well, actually, to be fair, I've never, um, years ago when she released her last album, I didn't wasn't across her as much so i don't actually know but in my mind it feels as though she's like playing up a bit more with the fashion stuff yeah her, she bur- was her burgundy trench yeah and even um, the nails and the british vogue that she did she had really cool manicure yes yeah i do feel like she's playing with the fashion stuff more than before definitely yeah um which is fun but it was interesting to me because i was watching that music video i was like she could get any one yeah in the world to make this music video and it's just it's almost laughably bad the start of it yeah i was saying when i was in like high school i had to make a music direct a music video and those were like the generic shots we were taught to do of like a home and a road and someone laughing and someone sad and music sheets on the floor and it's yeah and how it was in black and white and then went to color and i go to grace i didn't even notice that (laughs) (laughs) the whole video went from black and white to color I was like, is that how you felt? It's cute. It's a nice little story. I know. The liberation of leaving a bad relationship, etc. Yeah. I like that you wrote in our doc, Adele likes Nando's, love heart. She does. She yeah. said she liked Nando's in that British Vogue video. And I have recently discovered Nando's and I'm a big fan. I had it last, had it on Sunday, Saturday night for dinner, actually. Mm-hmm. Went and sat in, dined in, had an impossible burger and peri peri chips. Yeah, nice. As you know, I'm a long time <laughs> Nando's supporter. Nando's fan. So yeah, agree with her on that. She did that like really cute British Vogue tasting British foods thing, which against my better judgment, I sat and watched from start to finish on I Monday know. morning. I lapped up like a little chuggy dog (laughs) (laughs) a little chuggy dog i know and we didn't even talk last week i don't think that i can remember about her hottie new boyfriend bf yeah what is he a he's an nba coach i think yeah and she said she's just super in love and i i think there is nothing there's nothing more embarrassing but Mm. also nothing more beautiful than falling in love Mm. You just, you turn into like Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox. You turn into these very embarrassing, completely, that you just lose your mind. Mm-hmm. And it's really cute because she's obviously losing her mind about him, but trying to be chill. But in the in the interview, she said they've only been dating for a few months. and she Have they? Yeah. And she's already talking about him in interviews and just, she's like clearly so obsessed. It's the nicest time and they're always sitting at games together yeah yeah happy happy for adele happy for her song yeah looking forward to the album (laughs) looking forward to a more sort of upbeat high tempo track i know but yeah i feel like her her songs grow on you over time exactly easy on me another go the more they're shoved the more any song is shoved down your throat the more you like it do you think about this i think about this we went to – sorry, this is a, a short tangent. Me and Izzy went to the Balenciaga show in Paris and the way it was presented was amazing. We sat in a theatre and it was showcasing the red carpet 
And the red carpet was a mix of actual celebrities like Cardi B and Elliot Page and Amy Campbell. And then kind of random people that were wearing the collection, but they walked onto the red carpet and were photographed like there was a celebrity because they were wearing the new Balenciaga collection. And the whole thing was kind of about how it was making a statement about how if anyone's just shoved in front of your face long enough, you'll take them on as a celebrity. Like the nature of celebrity is basically just exposure. Yeah, and playing with that thing of people just being obsessed with celebrities. Yeah, and why are they? And I think that about music as well, where I'm, I think the songs that we all think are like the best songs ever, I'm like, what's the relationship between us just hearing them enough and then being such a part of our – it's like if every time we go into Boots or Sainsbury's or you walk down the street or whatever, you're being blasted Adele, eventually you're going to be like, oh, yeah, no one loves that song, but it mm. wouldn't be the same if it was a bunch mm. of other people that have made albums that no one's ever listened to. I know. It's so interesting. That's like that stupid Drake, to think about. Drake Too Sexy song. Like, well, exactly. now it's the best song in the world. I'm too sexy for Milan. <laughs> New York or Japan. <laughs> okay, so I'm really upset that I'm not up to date mm-hmm. with Succession, but are you up to date with the new season? Yes, so the first episode of the third season of Succession aired this week, a couple of days ago on Monday. It's Sunday night US time. I would say it's probably the biggest show on TV right now. I yeah, think. which is funny because it, it just didn't take off. For I mean, I tried to watch it and I watched up to four episodes and then was just like, this is boring. I don't know why people are saying it's good. Mm-hmm. I've since delved back in, rewatched those four episodes, have watched another four, was feverishly trying to catch up. Um, I think there's that episode, which you'll know about, is where it ramps up in season one yes where you're like okay i'm very invested now i was dying i was like god um when he's running down the street i was like i've never been so stressed Same. i was picking at my face like a beast Can <laughs> <laughs> you give myself some acne scars from that one yeah that was stressful basically I, that's what i think is interesting about succession as a show is it's it, it's like grown on people over time so it's a hbo series it's about a kind of media dynasty family that's loosely based on the Murdochs. Um, and it's now in its third season. And the first two seasons were like very critically acclaimed and won Emmys and were um, written up and obsessed over, but they didn't get very high viewing numbers. And then kind of over the course of lockdown, people started, I think everyone had the attitude of, I should really watch Succession because everyone's mm. saying it's this great prestige drama show and finally caught up with it in lockdown. So now the third season, which has taken, there's been a two year gap between season two and three. It's kind of built this cult following since then. So it's almost exploded on the internet. I, I feel like even on Instagram and Twitter and stuff this week, I've never seen as much hype around the show before. I know. And they are really pushing it. I've seen heaps of people doing spawn conference and stuff. But yeah, it is very, very good. So it's based loosely off kind of the Murdoch family. They've Mm. never come out and said that because obviously they would be afraid of being sued. But in the Murdochs, Rupert Murdoch is the guy who created News Corp in Australia. And then what, like, how how global is... Fox News. Fox News. Yeah, so it's like 20th Century Fox, Fox News, New York Post. Oh, wow, yeah. Like heaps of stuff. Because I was thinking that the other day where I, I... don't know that much about 
the Murdochs for someone who's worked in media for ages and who has friends. Obviously, both of us have friends and we write for his company mm-hmm. on a freelance basis, which is quite crazy. The Murdoch influence, it's kind of interesting, specifically in Australia, because the former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd has been like leading the charge on this uh, royal commission or inquiry into the impact that Rupert Murdoch has on Australian politics because he owns a huge amount, you know, there's like monopoly laws, but he owns a huge amount of like TV, radio, broadcasting Mm. across Australia. And there is this feeling that he's influenced a lot of the past few elections. And there's kind of examples of the covers of his newspapers after a Labour political scandal versus a Liberal political scandal and how biased it is. That's why people kind of feel like he's had this really negative effect on democracy in general. Well, he created Fox News. And there was that show, I can't remember what it was called, it was with Russell Crowe and it was about Roger Ailes and Fox News and like a kind of turning moment at Fox News was when 9-11 was happening and they were the only network that showed the bodies falling out of the building and that was kind of like a moment where they asserted themselves as like the news outlet that's going to be gritty and honest and tell the truth and not be whatever but it also turned news into this kind of like spectacle that's led to Trump and all of this stuff. So, like, Murdoch is such an interesting figure and he's got these children that are all kind of in line to succeed him. Yeah, because he's he 90 and he yeah. hasn't retired, I which know. is very sim- – so the first yeah. season of Succession, which is what I'm watching now, is literally in America – what's it called? Waystarco or something. Yeah. Um, a huge empire company – a huge media empire run by – an old man who's 80 something and who hasn't retired and who has this family and these sons waiting in the wings to take over. So like very, very, very similar. What were you going to say? Oh yeah. And, and basically like in succession and the Murdoch family, there are kind of four children. The oldest child is from a first marriage who has no interest in being part of the business. There's a son that looked kind of poised to take over who is uh, Lachlan Murdoch or might be James, sorry, I get them confused, who was kind of poised to take over and then seemed to have a huge falling out with his dad. There's another son who was seen as a bit of a joker, like the Roman character Mm. who's kind of over time starts being taken more seriously. There's a really smart daughter who works completely independently from the family business and then the dad tries to bring in. So there's like a lot of parallels with the Murdochs. But Jesse Armstrong, who's the showrunner, has also referenced like the history of Disney, the Redstone family Robert Maxwell, who's Ghislaine Maxwell's dad, who was one of the first media barons to go from the UK to the US in, like, the 60s, I think. And these media families are so interesting. So interesting. So I was listening to The Culture, which is that podcast by 7am, and they did a big thing on succession returning, and they were talking about this guy, Ghislaine Maxwell's dad, and how he died on a on a yacht or something in yeah. these, like, really mysterious circumstances, and then it came out that he was owed all this money and was embezzling and it's just it's quite crazy these families and the yacht that he fell off and died was called the galane oh my god it was named after her so it's like no wonder she's fucking crazy too yeah the incestuousness of those powerful people it's it's kind of funny because our society has kind of just recreated aristocracy even though we abolished aristocracy it's like there's still these people that like live Mm. above everyone else yeah about how he and it would be the same with probably rupert murdoch has just all of these high profile people on speed dial so in succession he's got the president on the line yeah so yeah it's it's 
a really interesting show. I'm obsessed with Roman, who's the naughty son. Yes. Who's just kind of like a fuck around. I want to tell you like a spoiler to get you excited because it's not that big a spoiler, but I feel like you'll like to hear it. But do you want the girlies to hear it? Yeah. If you guys don't want to hear, jump forward for like 10 seconds. He starts bussing Jerry. Oh my God. I know. It's like the best thing ever. Ever. It's so good. And then they become like a, you're like, what are they going to do? That's amazing. Um, Yeah. He's great. Yeah. So the show itself is, is obviously follows this media empire and who's going to take over. But then I feel like, and also, obviously, they're really, really rich. They're billionaires. So there's that aspect of it that makes it kind of interesting. Yeah. But I think the thing that makes it the most interesting is the family dynamics of it. Mm-hmm. It's written by Jesse Armstrong, who I don't know, but he's British, right? He's British. He's written two of my favorite TV shows ever, which are Peep Show and um, The Thick of It, which are both quite like irreverent comedies. Yeah. And uh, people have kind of said, I can't believe that someone who wrote like Peep Show could go on to write this prestige hbo drama that's like the sopranos but the show's really funny and i think to me it seems like a natural next step for someone that does like amazing comedy writing to like do this thing that it's kind of like a dark comedy and the thing that's really funny about succession as well is the i cannot believe your oven is still running i don't know oh what the fuck <laughs> Just turned off. It's like sorry. I keep saying ladies, and it started out as a joke because I hate that word so much, and I find it like um, I find it. What is it? Condescending. Condescending when people call you ladies, and now I've just started saying it as a a, like it's meant as a joke. Okay. And now I keep calling all the listeners ladies. (laughs) If someone said "Hey, ladies, lady" to me, I'd be so pissed off. Yeah. But yeah, the the thing about succession is the words and the dialogue is very funny with how much the dad swears etc yeah it's hilarious some of the lines are like like would just make me scream it's yeah so it's i think it's interesting as well that the writer is a a british writer in the sense that it does really feel like an outsider looking in on this like crazy weird american dynastic billionaire thing and like satirizing it or criticizing it from the outside, even though it showcases these people who are like abominably wealthy, it never feels like it's like glamorizing or fetishizing wealth. It's not like, um, I think there's been, this might've been in the 7am podcast, but you know, there's been criticism of shows like Gossip Girl or uh, they keep talking about the show Billions, which I've never seen, which showcase luxury porn, they call it, where you're watching the show about despicable rich people, but it also frames their lifestyles as so enviable whereas in succession the wealth is secondary to these like power hungry money hungry characters so they live in these beautiful apartments and they'll sit on these beautiful yachts or they'll go on private jets or they'll travel or do whatever but it doesn't it all just feels secondary none of them seem invested in any of the stuff that surrounds them which is like really interesting because i think that is how the ultra wealthy operate i think they have all these beautiful things around them but they take them so for granted that they're just accidental things in the background and what they're really invested in is power. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. A lot of yeah, a lot of the time you probably I think as well because you could have some anything you want so easily you wouldn't yeah. really want for it that much. And there's something really like sterile and cold and unwelcoming about 
the way the beautiful things are presented in the show. And there's a, there's a scene where, you know, they can kind of cash out for $10 billion and the dad's just like, no. And I'm watching it just being like, why at age 80 would you not just do that? You could yeah. <laughs> just live in the yeah. most beautiful situation forever. You won't be fighting with your kids. Everything will be great. There's nothing to lose. But at that point – the money is so secondary to just being influential and powerful and having the president on speed dial and having people think you're important and yeah. having the paparazzi follow you around. It's like that's what you becomes the only thing that you care about, which that's is what's so, so scary crazy. about billionaires. <laughs> yeah. I think the comparisons to The Sopranos are pretty, pretty spot on in the sense as well that, like, that obviously Tony Soprano is a bad guy, but you – start to love him so much and his family dynamics so much that you don't really notice the bad things, the terrible things they're doing. And Mm. I think that that's kind of the same in Succession where, I mean, I don't really love any character apart from Roman, but I'm very early on. (laughs) I love stupid Roman and he's probably the most evil of them all. Yeah. Um, He keeps making like sexual misconduct jokes. He's so naughty. so funny. Some of his lines are so good. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, you can't, you kind of can't help but, like them and it's a weird thing because yeah it like shows you how much when you're watching something you want to find redeeming qualities in people in order to watch things because every character in succession is so despicable that the writers just give you nothing to latch on to and yet i'm the same i still find myself just trying to latch on to like the dregs of things to try and get emotionally invested in them because I want them to like redeem themselves or something. Whereas I think the whole, what makes the show so brilliant is that it refuses to let you do that. Like it doesn't give people arcs, Mm. redeeming arcs that undoes all the terrible stuff they do. It just kind of leaves you to deal with the fact that you're getting emotionally invested in obnoxious people. Yeah. Um, the whole thing is, yeah, it's, it's really, it is really amazing and everyone should watch it. Everyone should watch it. Cousin Greg is the guy from Zola. Yes, he's so funny. He's so funny. I love him. What is his name? Nicholas Braun. Yeah. I watched an interview with him and he's literally just that in person. Yeah. It's so funny. Like someone was asking him, what did you make of like this scene? Have you seen the water bottle scene yet? No. I think that might be season two. Yeah. Tom just like belts him with water bottles (laughs) and they were talking about that and the interviewer was asking him this really deep question about like the power dynamics of like this and this or some kind of literary reference that they'd reference in the show and he was just like i don't know like it hurt (laughs) i I didn't really get bruised by the bottles but i kept like shoving my leg into the side of the desk and then at the end of the day my leg was purple because of the desk it just be he's like literally cousin greg in real life it's so funny or they ask him questions about things and he's always like it's just such a smart show and i film these scenes and i'm always like they're gonna cut these because they're just so stupid but they just always end up in the show so i don't know (laughs) oh my god shut it Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So we have been meaning for ages to talk about this vice piece about how millennial culture is no longer youth culture. And then last week, The New Yorker did a big article, very long, 30 something minutes long (sighs) of my life on why we need to stop talking about generations, which was super interesting. And it basically goes into how generations were created in the first place and they were literally made up to split time. So they made it every 30 years with no rhyme or reason It was also a way of selling things back to us, so creating a thing called a youth culture that advertisers could target. But it's really interesting as well because it talks a lot about how we view different generations. And so, for example, us right now, everyone tends to view Generation Z as being this really forward-thinking, woke generation that are super environmentally conscious and... They don't fit into boxes and they don't like labels and blah, blah, blah. And then when I was reading this piece, it talked about how basically forever, everyone has thought the younger generation is this crazy new change-making generation that's that's different to any that's come before them. And it talks about how in the during Woodstocks so in the 60s, all of the hippies, they did a big survey back then and the hippies were saying the same the the same amount of conservative views as the generations before them. And then the, they were quoting in this New Yorker piece about how in these Gen Zers who were studied, the same amount identified as male and female as generations above them. So, so where, when you'd think that heaps more would be non-binary. So it's quite interesting because I think as well, our view on what makes up traits of generations uh, so focused specifically on these tiny six of those generations. So mm-hmm. it's usually really privileged. It's usually people. It's usually who the media tends to hone in on, and that just wouldn't at all encompass the whole generation. I don't know. It's just it's just so interesting. It's so interesting. I think about this. I hadn't thought about this till we read these pieces, but I thought about this too in terms of like it seems like millennials are more invested in Gen Z culture than anyone else, and it's almost like this idea of generations exists for the older generation to make sense of the younger generation or something. Like they're these arbitrary lines that we enforce because we like this story of, oh, well, we're part of this thing and you're part of this thing and what are the young Gen Zs doing now? Whereas when we actually think about the things we talk about Gen Z caring about, they're not very different to the things that we care about. Me and you care about or most of the people that we know care about or even that our parents care about about as well. It's like I never even thought about it until – you talked about it, but it's like this idea of generations beginning and ending at certain points and there being these massive differences between them is such a bizarre idea. Yeah. yeah. And the, the thing that does make sense, obviously, is the fact that different groups of people go through different life events together and that kind of bonds you. So there's, you know, the Vietnam War, there's 9-11, there's COVID. Mm. So that makes sense. But then we've also kind of thrown this thing onto that young people develop their own culture, so their own tastes and their own values. 
and that this new culture displaces the culture of the generation that preceded theirs. Mm. And then this creates, obviously, this intergenerational warfare or this us and them mentality. And it's been taking off so much. There's obviously the boomers, the millennials, and Gen Z, who mm. seem to fight all the time. Mm. Gen X kind of just stays out of it. Yeah, I, I'm never around. Still not I don't even sure where like who Gen X. Ge- Gen X, our parents' generation. I think so. Yeah, because our parents aren't baby boomers, right? I don't oh, they know. are. I think they are. I have no idea what's what Gen. Yeah, get on the Google. H. <laughs> okay, this says it's people who are currently between fifty-seven and seventy-five years old. So yeah, Gen X, Gen baby boomers, and oh. Gen X are born between nineteen sixty-five and nineteen eighty. So they're oh. currently between forty-one and fifty-six. So right, so in between. 56, so it's... Yeah, my mum's a boomer. Yeah. But it's like even then, it's yeah, just like being two years separate. Yeah. Like, what does that actually yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's quite interesting because this thing about, yeah, intergenerational warfare happens where there's that us and them mentality and you kind of... I don't know. I don't know. It just it doesn't really seem to serve anyone well. But there's been people on TikTok making fun of millennials. So... They were saying that all we care about is avocado toast and just these so really coming from things. like Gen Zers as well as boomers now. It's coming from like it's coming from TikTokers saying we care about avocado toast because yes. that was always a thing that like boomers used it against millennials when yep. we were the youth culture, yes. and now it's being like Come the coming other way. upwards as well. Yeah. That's so re- – I'm surprised they but even because, have that reference. But because, yeah, I know. And they were saying we only care about Harry Potter. <laughs> what avocado toast and something else really stupid the one thing i i do agree with is they talk about how millennials are just just refuse to grow up and how the term like hashtag adulting is a thing and how we all talk about how we our house plants are dead because we don't understand how to water them and i was like that is really true that is true like a a protracted childhood is like yeah arrested development thing but i didn't see that as being a trait of a generation now i do that's so true. I'm just going to – I'm just like <laughs> – I think that about, like, my friends and family members who have children almost. Like, when we talk about it, they're like, it's crazy. I'm a kid. We have no money. Like, oh, la, la, la. Like, it's like that is still the vibe of mm. people in their 30s going into their 40s. Even people who I think of as defining members of our millennial generation, like Alexa Chung, you know, she's approaching 40, and yet I still see her as this – perpetually young 20-something carefree girl, which she is. But I, I just think in our parents' generation being 37 meant having four children and yeah. being essentially middle-aged. Yeah, and I love that so, so much. Same, I love yeah. so much how we've changed things. I think our generation as well and me saying generations don't exist and now I'm saying millennials are the best Actually, generation if Gen Z, fuck it. <laughs> you fuck it. Um, no, but Generational think, warfare. I think what is so interesting about millennials with the, with the I get, yeah because that is the thing like there, there are time stamps that do make a generation a thing. And they're arbitrary us, to the sense that, like, some people fall into it and some don't. Like, I feel... As in social media, growing up in the age of social media, that's such a Gen Z thing mm-hmm. that you can't deny. And us being pre-social media in the sense that, like, we joined social media when we were 
16 or 17 Mm -hmm. and it was my space until we finished high school etc has obviously meant that our experience of adolescence is so different to someone who's even five or six years younger than us exactly and i think the thing that's really interesting about millennials in terms of how we grew up in that sense millennials our age kind of on the younger end of being millennials Mm because i think the youngest millennial is 25 Uh (laughs) i'm just counting myself down at your age (laughs) is we are kind of that middle ground between the boomers who yeah were married young had kids young were very much caught up in the neoliberalist ideals that they were that were being shoved down their throats in the 80s then there came us and we've kind of been like "Mm, i don't know about that i don't know about having to follow all these rules and then gen z is getting all of the fruits Yes. Of all of this, plus growing up on the internet, so they're not having to deal with not understanding how to do their makeup. They're not having to deal with they have YouTube tutorials for I everything. Know, but Grace. it's worse. It's worse for them. It's like definitely worse for them. Yeah, I don't know, but also just the way that you would learn things so early on, you'd just be so much more aware of. I don't know. We just we knew nothing. There was no internet. How crazy is that? There was no internet. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Obviously, there is always a thing where every generation, when a younger generation comes up, the knee-jerk reaction is to be terrified by them, which we're not saying. But I'm like, that is just – I think that's a thing that's happening right now where millennials are obsessing over Gen Z culture. I think it's also us not wanting to get old. Exactly. So it's it's like people come up and it reminds you of your mortality and that you're going to die one day and that you're just going to keep getting older and there's going to be more and more people that are younger than you and hotter low and prettier and blah, blah, blah. Low-rise jeans I are back. I would be and alive to see the day. pandemonium. <laughs> but it's like the knee-jerk reaction is to be freaked out by them and I think the knee-jerk reaction to be freaked out by them makes us create fake dichotomies where they don't exist. Like it makes us create this gulf. Mm. that isn't real Mm. with fashion for example where i'm about to turn 28 but i'm 27 and i look at people online like devon lee carlson for example and i see her as being six or seven years younger than i am and we're the same age and it's because she dresses in this way that's like tapping into youth culture right now in a way that doesn't feel relevant to me and that makes me feel like i'm part of an older generation Mm. and i think us being on like the cusp of the crosshairs of that thing is like a really weird thing to be experiencing. Yeah, that's interesting as well because I have some friends who are, yeah, your age yeah. and they really tap into way more the Gen Z vibe or aesthetic mm-hmm. or just even, I don't even know because here I am trying to say that it's not different, but then it kind of is different when people are on, so if they're using TikTok all the time or dressing differently or speaking differently, there's definitely just so many more different subcultures now. Uh-huh which kind of fall into these different categories. And yeah, like you say, sometimes I'll be hanging out with them and I feel so old. I'll I'll just be like, oh my God, I feel just completely, I don't even understand what you guys are talking about. But you you could in five seconds. And I think the thing about it is like, if you were compelled to, you could figure it out because it isn't like you need to be in high school. No. Sitting with people to get it. And I don't even know, I don't even know what the deal will be with like the kids coming up in high school right now compared to what we see as Gen Z culture, which I think is people that are only a few years younger than us. Mm. I liked the Vice piece, how it compared Grimes and Billie Eilish as two examples of pop stars that embody the two generations. Grimes being someone who quote unquote authentically became a kind of avant-garde pop star, 
by just sitting in her like college dorm room and making mixtapes and eventually getting picked up and becoming famous and kind of being uncompromising about herself and then being accepted by the entertainment establishment. Whereas like Billie Eilish, which I didn't realize, although I do feel like this article is like a bit cynical, but Billie Eilish was kind of crafted as a Gen Z figurehead from age 12. Like she was created in a lab almost. Yeah. Same with Olivia Rodrigo. Mm. Quite interesting. I didn't know that. So Billie Eilish and her brother write and produce all of their own songs, which is incredible. But one of the first songs she ever released got her signed to an Apple Music related company. And then she got hooked up with the Chanel stylist who helped shape her image over three years prior to her debut album. That's crazy. A similar thing happened with Lord. actually. She was right. signed age 12 yeah. and released her first single when she was 16. Okay, so th- that kind of undermines the Vice article's well, argument. Yeah, she, I mean, she's yeah, she's she's Gen. She's on the cusp. What would she be? Gen Z. She's Gen Z. Yeah, but she, yeah. I feel like she's feels millennial. Yeah, millennials claim her. Yes, she loves like a. I actually have suit. no idea how old she is. I feel like she's perpetually twenty one. I think she's like twenty five. Oh right, so she's okay. on the borderline. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think. I think the Billie Eilish thing is interesting because I think for people like us, she's a good reference point for what Gen Z is, but she's probably created to appeal to like every generation equally. So every generation feels like they know what Gen Z is. Yeah. The Vice piece was interesting. So it was basically saying, yeah, millennial culture is no longer youth culture. And that's kind of shocking for millennials. It is scary to realize. Yeah. Or when you realize you don't understand I was thinking that the other day where I was thinking, and I know we make, like you said, we make jokes about it and you could understand something very quickly. If you don't understand TikTok, you go on it for literally five seconds and you understand how to use it. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking that the other day about how when you would look at your parents and just think, oh my God, how how do they not understand how to use a cell phone? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, if I'm already age 30, not understanding this new social media platform, the way, the fast paced nature that everything is working these days mm-hmm. We're gonna, I'm going to be so fucking out of the loop. Well, kids, by... are gonna, kids are, like, learning to code in school now. So yeah. by the time I'm out, we, like, there's a generation, a full generation below us. They'll be like, how do you not know? How to code? How to code. I know. Really? Oh, like, oh, at I'm school, when we were learning how to type on computers. Because you'd have to take you'd have to take IT classes and learn how to type on computers. I can't believe we had blackboards when I think about it. I know. Like, our kids will be just shocked and appalled. Or even just flip phones. It's like how my dad told me that when he was naughty in school, his teacher just used to like hit the students with a slipper. <laughs> and I was like, what? Yeah. And that's us now. Yeah. Um, today's asked these millennials what they think of Gen Z because Gen Z were slagging us off on TikTok. So they were giving millennials a chance to slag mm-hmm. Gen Z off. And this guy nick who's 30 was really funny and quite spot on and obviously we love all of our gen z listeners but this is pretty funny it was the stereotype i have of gen z is that they spend their days flipping clothes on depop depop i can't even say <laughs> what is decock <laughs> <laughs> bulk buying some old jane norman tops and silk scarves and taking thotty pictures of them while trying to pass it off as y2k they don't drink but they have a problem with 
benzos. They think TikTok is activism and they haven't actually read any Audrey Lord, Bell Hooks or Judith Butler. They do. They love to do elaborate makeup routines to make themselves look like dewy little forest nymphs by dousing themselves in glossier future dew and painting on freckles. They have an extensive collection of strappy square toed mules that look good, but will cause permanent damage flapping against their heels. Everything is a side hustle. Aw, Nick's very on the ball. Nick's very hilarious. Yeah. Well done, Nick. Okay, so I thought I coined this term. Do you remember? No. I told you this. We were talking about someone we know, and I was like, they are basically, but it was in a different context. No. I was saying they're like female incels, like femme cells, and they're people that get so obsessed with dating men and why won't men date me and blah, 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 or whatever, that they end up acting like incels where they like hate men aggressively because they're not getting a boyfriend, whereas the reason they're not getting a boyfriend is because... I wasn't listening to you. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so anyway, I coined the term femcells, <laughs> but it was misused and, and now femcells are everywhere online. L US and The Guardian both ran stories this week about how there's a group of women who are trying to reclaim the incel involuntary celibate title to its original meaning, which was basically meant to be people who society deems as physically unattractive, who can't have meaningful relationships because people won't date them and who want a community of people who can help them with their loneliness. And the incel movement got hijacked by like women hating men that committed horrible acts of violence so femme cells are kind of wanting to reclaim their identity as a group for women who don't fit society's beauty standards and can't find partners so are involuntarily celibate yeah so the major difference between yeah like you said femme cells and incels is that femme cells a lot of incels incels are kind of related to this violence and this woman hating misogyny Um, but it's like a very fundamentalist strand of of incels yeah. yeah and then femcels are basically just a community of women online who describe themselves as unable to have sexual or romantic relationships as a result of a toxic blend of misogyny and impossible beauty standards it's a female take on male incels who in general feel entitled to sex with women and resentful if they don't get it so, yeah, because I think incels is this this really toxic place where they just hate women and they're really horrible about them, whereas femcels are just saying, oh, society's unrealistic beauty standards suck. We feel shit and sad and we want to have a community and it's not about blaming people or hating people and there's no violence. The thing that's sad is that I'm sure within the incel community there's a lot of men that went in feeling how the femcels feel and we're just genuinely disheartened and sad and lonely and horny <laughs> and realistic. Like, it's just so annoying because if you didn't have that, like, horrible, red-pilling, crazy part of incels, this would actually be the dream situation where the fem cells and the incels could meet and all start bussing and getting married. I know. We need to have a fem cell in nice incel dating. Have Netflix dating show. A dating show. Like, love is blind. Yes. Yeah. So... Um, we actually, after we did, we did a recent Patreon app um, called the Hotline Bling, where we got our listeners to, we got our Patreon community to send in love and dating and sex and relationship questions, and then we got drunk and answered them, half taking the piss, but also 
we've been praised for our <laughs> for our brilliant we've been praised <laughs> um brilliant advice but after we did that actually we got sent an email by a listener who said that she's been single for 20 years and no bossing or sex slash sex in that whole time she said that she knows it's rather unusual and is worried she's literally the only woman her age in this predicament she's um where did she say that she's in her 40s and we i remember reading that and thinking oh we'll answer it on the next ep we do mm-hmm. and then we've started talking about pim's health and i was like god we have a listener who hasn't had sex in 20 years and she thinks that she's it's super uncommon and she thinks that she's the only person that feels that way when there's this whole community of women and there would be so 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 many thousands or millions more who haven't joined these communities because they don't even they don't know they exist or they feel too much shame to go online and talk about it and who just haven't had sex in years and you wouldn't even you pro- you probably wouldn't even feel comfortable telling anyone about that because there'd be so much stigma around it Exactly. But I think like from the research we've done this week, it is far more common than I think anyone gives it credit for. And I think that it's obviously so true. I mean, something that was kind of consistent across the L story and the Guardian story was that these women were saying that it's not like sex is impossible. Like if you want to go out and have sex, it's you pretty much can if you lower your standards. But a lot of the time they were finding themselves having sex with men that refused to commit to them romantically or or in a serious way and that was the thing that left them feeling very used or everyone knows that that kind of sex makes you feel worse it makes you feel way worse than not doing it so a lot of the time the decision to not have sex is actually a really empowering personal decision because you're refusing to settle Mm. but obviously with that there are knock-on effects in terms of loneliness or just like not being in touch with your sensuality or missing the feeling of touch or whatever and i loved how the articles discussed how some women had kind of started looking into employing sex workers, which I think is an amazing, amazing part of what sex workers do, which is creating a place where you can explore your sexuality or sensuality with really clear boundaries and where there's like actually far less of a feeling of exploitation. Yeah. But I think there is like a much bigger community out there than anyone really gives credit for. Yeah. I found the Guardian piece, this woman, Caitlin, with the truth bombs. She was basically saying that – women so much more often and i know we're generalizing here but i genuinely think it's the truth women on so the another massive thing that's an issue is dating apps and it's like if you Mm. are deemed conventionally unattractive by society's standards of beauty a dating app is not a fucking great place for you is it because dating apps are just people swiping back and forth on photos of people and And they give you like what a three second Yes. Thing. Yeah, there's no which, thought which, into which it. Which yeah. fucking sucks anyway because you, you never know if you're going to be attracted to someone through what they look like. But this woman, Caitlin, in the Guardian piece was saying, which is I find so true, is that women are so much more likely generally to go on a date with a guy that they see on a dating app that they don't find attractive off the bat because they think, oh, I might like his personality. He might be better looking in person. He might just not take that great photos. I might just be really sexually and chemically attracted to him and then the physical attraction will come which has happened to me in the past Mm. and men men are just so much less likely to do that they just wouldn't do that they wouldn't even think to do that they're just like i don't find her hot next yeah it's super crazy i was telling you my brother who's like good looking boy he downloaded a dating app and i was like helping him with his profile and he was like going through people and he was fucking ruthless like and he's like a really nice non-jockey 
vegan, lovely school teacher person. And he was like a savage. He was like, no, 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 yeah. no. Like he only liked, like swiped on people that were supermodels. And I was like, this is just men in yeah, action. Yeah, like men, he was, he would have been swiping no on girls that would never have even swiped yes on him. Exactly. That's what I think. Like the disparity yeah. of what is acceptable looks wise to men versus what it is to women versus what is yeah. realistic in real life is just like madness. My old housemate did the same thing. He downloaded Tinder back in the day and was doing the exact same thing, like swiping no on anyone who didn't look like a supermodel. I was like, and then being like, oh, I'm having no luck on this. Yeah. I was like, like, what? Yes. It's yeah. Like, it's just, yeah. So I think that, that would be like a massive, that is a massive issue. And I think as, as well, whole. I wonder as well how much of it is men being shallow in and of themselves and how much of it is tied to like boys friendship culture where if a guy's got a girlfriend who's not deemed conventionally attractive they're made fun of for it or it's seen of as an extension of them or yeah. whatever because i don't i genuinely think that's a huge i thing. think it's much bigger and i think yeah. that's these women are talking about how they can find men that they'll sleep with privately but who don't want to be their public partner Mm. i feel like it's so much more tied to like what men think other men will think because i think women don't judge other women for dating men that aren't conventionally attractive that's not really like a thing no we would make fun of someone dating a guy who's good looking but really stupid or really boring before we'd make fun of someone dating someone really funny and cool and interesting who's not who wasn't good looking it's just not really a thing yeah and i think as well women tend to be more and, I, and this is another this is another shallow aspect of us, mm. but we tend to be more attracted to things like someone being really smart mm-hmm. or someone uh, maybe being powerful or successful or really well dressed. I am yeah. I could or never... wealthy. Like let's be honest, like not <laughs> yeah. us personally, but I'm like yeah, it's yeah, a huge women. thing yeah, with yeah. women. Yeah, I um would never date someone I didn't find really stylish. Mm-hmm. I would, and that is something that's. What is it? Shallow and superficial. Yeah. But it's not a looks thing. You can obviously change how you dress pretty easily. Whereas yeah. it's like for men, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's, it seems as though there are quite a few differences between fem cells and incels. Yeah. It's, but it, it's like they're sides of the same coin, which is just lookism. Yeah. In general. Yeah. So this owl piece put the reason they don't get along quite well. The femcel and incel communities appear not to get along in part because the latter doesn't believe the former can exist. They may look at women like the ones quoted in the piece and think, see, someone was willing to have sex with you. All women, many incels say, have the choice to be sexually active or not. So-called femcels are just being too picky. While most women would probably not identify as involuntarily celibate, many can relate to the frustrating expectation that they should prefer awful sex to no sex at all. Which is very fucking true. Mm. I'd rather have no sex than have sex with someone who very clearly was embarrassed to see me in public. Yeah. I think as a rule, just sex for sex sake doesn't have the same thing for women as it seems to have for men. Yeah. So women aren't just laying around being like, oh, I just wish I could get laid. They want sex is, as a generalization, more likely to be connected to some sort of emotional thing for women than it is for men. Yeah. And I know, and I obviously women can have casual sex, but it's like you wouldn't have casual sex with someone that you found found disgusting. Repulsive, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I think was great in the Guardian piece was just talking about how obviously it can be a really lonely existence if you haven't had that kind of physical touch or that sexual touch in ages, but that heaps of fem cells are just 
I, I think the good thing about fucking women, eh? we're just so yeah, good, is, is investing in themselves and joining groups and communities and going on walks and just really taking that loneliness or, or want for love and turning it in on yourself and really working on yourself and making yourself better and all these fucking incels are out trying to kill people i know i think it does really Obvious. speak to how men and women like They're cope so with shit cope yeah. with emotional stress women yeah. take it inward and men take it outward i feel like that's a huge generalization again but it's pretty much such, true such millennials women versus men i know turfs <laughs> <laughs> um okay Bye. Bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.